die for this I fear There's rage and terror and there's sickness here I fight because I have to I fight for us to know the truth There's not enough rope to tie me down There's not enough tape to shut this mouth The stones you throw can make me bleed But I won't stop until we're free Wild hearts can't be broken Welcome to Transform Your Talk. This is Jeff. This is Jenna. Today we're talking about mediation, ostensibly, and the folks that come with the trauma that we come with to mediation and how that might affect the outcome and the process and everything in between. And so we start with the idea of mental health and trauma, Jenna. What is trauma? Well, we looked up the definition of trauma, a very basic definition, and at least according to dictionary.com and the Oxford Dictionary, it's a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. That's a pretty broad definition, isn't it, Jeff? It is. Uh, in, in the men's group that I do and have done for many years, we talk about wounding and trauma in that, in that regard, and uh, men openly talk about it. Uh, in trusting circles, and I have not been in a circle of men in those 23 years where a man did not have a story about trauma or a wound from his childhood. Well, I've got some interesting statistics here I'm going to share. But first, I want to remind our listeners, while not all of our podcasts are related to the work that we do in conflict resolution and mediations and things like that, trauma is very real. It's an important topic because so many people live with it. And we need to transform how people talk about it, communicate about it, especially once they've identified it. So I'm going to start by letting you know that trauma, according to the Coalition for National Trauma Research, is the number one cause of death for people in the United States between the ages of 1 and 46 years old, more than cancer, more than heart disease, diabetes, or anything else. That was a shocking statistic when I first heard it a few days ago after you did some research, Jenna. Well, I've got another one for you, but I think it might not be reported correctly. So I'll share it and you can let me know what you think. I also did some more research and found out the statistic that 70% of adults in the United States have experienced some form of trauma. I don't know. I mean, 70%. I think that's a low number. Uh, based on my own experience, it's a, <laughs> well, men that go to men's groups probably already predisposed to talk about their trauma. So maybe it's 100% there because they're ready to talk about it. And maybe therapists would agree that it's a, a much higher number. Well, I know in the trauma survivor groups I've done and the trauma-informed um, yoga I've done, the cognitive therapy I've done, it's much higher than 70%. My guess is this is 70% of the people willing to be honest and report it. 
as an example of what I think some people do when they deny that there's trauma or a wound in their childhood or in their life, um, and they don't want to talk about it. I once experienced uh, a couple of men. One man came out, and he talked about how his stepfather had uh, sexually assaulted and raped him for a number of years. As this man was telling his story, writhing in pain and bawling and screaming for help, even at a now in his uh, mid-40s. The people that heard that story, uh, Jenna, were sickened. I was sickened, and I I was disturbed. And then the next man got up and told a similar story and had the same reaction. But his uh, trauma story was his dad playing catch with him in the backyard. Dad uh, was constant critic, the guy never did anything right, so he grew up thinking he was worthless. Same result, two men on the carpet telling their trauma stories. The wounds, if you wouldn't have known what the story was about, you would have thought these two men were in the same room when they were traumatized with the same facts, but they weren't the same facts. And I learned there, once and for all, that there is no degree of trauma. You can't say one person only had that happen and another person had that happen. So, oh my God, that second person is much worse off. Trauma is trauma. A disturbing, extreme experience that affects someone. And when those someones are affected, what happens? Well, they exhibit it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes they hide it and they don't want to talk about it. Sometimes... They find these different outlets and ways to cope because what I've learned in the trauma I've experienced from my childhood that I carry with me every single day and in all the work I've done, I don't know that you ever get over it like people say, move past it. I think you learn to cope. That's what I believe. It's not for everybody, but part of that is doing the work to get to the point that you can find those mechanisms you need to use to cope. Well, I know in the research you did, there was coping and treatment options mentioned, and obvious to me, some of them um, from the list. Can you name a few of those? Well, I know the ones that have worked for me. You know, exercise is a great one. I do yoga. I know you play the pickleball and the things like that. Um, One that I've always kind of found myself using but didn't know it was a coping mechanism till much later in life is connecting with others, especially those who have shared stressful events or experiences that are similar to your trauma. I've always kind of had this keen sense, if you will, that I could meet a girl or a guy or whatever and have a conversation with them or observe them having conversations or interacting with somebody And I could later pull them aside and say, I'm sorry something happened to you. Sharing, trauma bonds. If there's 70 to 100% people out there experiencing trauma, then certainly all they need is a safe place to share, right? Some people call it a trauma buddy. Mm -hmm. That can be a safe way to share those. Therapy? Yeah. I've heard of talk therapy being very helpful. Um, I've done cognitive therapy. That's been very helpful to me. I know people that do like running groups that have experienced similar traumas to them. So they have groups that they do these workouts in or, or reading groups, knitting groups. There's all different kinds of groups that you can get together with that have similar traumas if they're willing to be honest about them and talk about them and transform how they talk about them. 
You're talking about coping now. You're talking about the hobbies and sports and the sharing and the talk therapy and exercise and all that good stuff, which keeps us moving through the day. But as you say, there's no getting over the trauma. There's coping with the trauma. There's talking about the trauma. But one thing that I think you and I both know, denying it. What happens when we deny the wounds that we're carrying around with us? I think just like anything else, they fester, they boil over, and then we release them in ways that we go back and go, gosh, that wasn't a good way to release that. I know for me, you know, I, some people yell to release their traumas. I hide. I retreat. Uh, I'm a retreater, I guess. Maybe that's the technical term or not. But I go to a place I've manifested in my head that I, I've developed. I isolate and retreat, but on occasion, when I'm triggered, I hear one of my parents' voice in the back of my head, and I get aggressive and argumentative, and I want to, I want to change the outcome and prove I'm right, they're wrong, and all that stuff is from my childhood. So that's how I act out when I'm not retreating. Yeah, I think we all act out in different ways if we're not being upfront about these traumas and about these experiences and how they affect us and what triggers us. I know I have experiences sometimes where my past traumas come back to me in day-to-day things, and I have to remind myself that you know I, I have to survive in this world and keep going. Um, I know a recent example for me in one of my traumatic experiences I had uh, some time that I was at a local coffee shop doing some homework for law school eons ago, and I had a traumatic experience that occurred at that coffee shop, and that was years and years and years ago, and I kind of put it away in that place and left it there, and then just the other day, I was in that very same coffee shop just waiting in line to get a cup of coffee. It was cold out. I was at the art festival here in East Lansing, or in, yeah, in downtown East Lansing. And I went in and I just remember standing there totally immersed in that trauma again. I stood in line and thought, oh my gosh, I was there. I remember the person that was involved in the trauma with me or that caused it, that was part of it, whatever you want to call it. And I remember thinking, well, I can stand here in this line and get my coffee, or I can run and hide. I was proud of myself. I got my cup of coffee, and I walked out, and I felt like I didn't, you know, let that trauma control me that day. So that was a big, big stride in the right direction, but it's not always that easy for people. It's not always that easy for me. That's just one small example of how traumas that are years and years and years and years old and past, and that we should, quote-unquote, move past or get over, just come back sometimes, or in nightmares or dreams or feelings. I started thinking about the whole subject of wounding and trauma um, in a different way lately. And I thought, oh, so all those negative things happen and I'm still triggered by them, but what could be a different way, a new sort of a new paradigm? And I started thinking about the gifts I got, the takeaways from the trauma itself. What 
made me sur- a survivor at whatever age those occurred. So I call those the gifts of trauma. Um, I know you and I have talked about that. And you actually identified a few. Would you, would you care to talk about how some of those things have, have worked in your life? Yeah, and actually that's something you know you and I have talked a lot about and um, I actually used that day in the coffee shop as I was leaving with my warm cup of delicious coffee. Um, I thought about the gifts that had been bestowed upon me throughout my coping with different traumas. But I made a list because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a type A make list kind of person. So here's my list. Um, As someone that was traumatized from a very young age and on and off throughout my life and have faced different forms of trauma throughout my life, I would say I've become more emotionally aware, not just of my feelings and emotions, but other people's feelings and emotions. I've learned how to cognitively process my feelings and emotions. That took a lot of work, but I'm glad I did it because that those were the skills I used that day in the coffee shop. Does that, I, does that mean you, you, you go back and think about it all, put it all little pieces together, try to figure it out? What does that mean, cognitive? So it means, <laughs> so cognitive processing therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy that I did, it makes you stop and do exactly what I did. You know, I know that this is triggering to me. I have these different ways I can go with that. I can go down the path of I need to leave. I need to run away from that. Or I can say, I know this is triggering to me, but I need to be able to be able to be able to get a cup of coffee at this place I enjoy and warm up on this chilly day. I need to be able to do that. And then my mind and I made up, you know, what we were going to do. And that was to grab that cup of coffee and leave. So all that stuff in your head was happening while you were waiting for your warm cup of coffee. Yeah. In a place where you'd been traumatized before. Yeah. Uh huh. So a physical place could take you right back, could trigger you, and boom, you're there. Yeah, it's happened to me a few times recently. You and I have talked about a few different events. What other gifts did you get from those years of experiences? Um, I would say a, a sense of empathy and approaching people and the way I talk to people with kindness. So empathy and kindness are two very important gifts. Um, you know, we all have demons and traumas we carry around. And I'm sure, like the example you gave earlier, you can put 100 people in a room. They don't wear a banner that says what trauma they've experienced. They're carrying them around every day, and we can't see them. So approaching everybody and everything we do with kindness and empathy is something I've gained as a gift. Um, I have a desire to help people. That's another gift. I felt like in certain ways I went through these traumas, and there were people that tried to help me and did help me. There are people that still help me through them. So I, I drive to give that back. I want to help other people because I think it's so important that we love, care, and show kindness to one another. Um, I would say <laughs> I've got this sense of, you know, uh, protectiveness as a parent. Um, But I think I've also tried to use the gift of teaching my children to be emotionally aware, self-aware, and to understand that those emotions and those feelings are okay, 
and they're real and they're natural and we should be able to talk about them. Um, I would say my last gift is a little silly but true. I've taken this gift of kind of life's too short and I do daring things sometimes. I scuba dive. I joke with my kids that I want to climb into the side of a volcano because I saw someone else do it on National Geographic. So I'm willing to take risks. I'm willing to just listen to my um, instincts and follow them because that, that, those are the gifts I've developed over the years. And the biggest one I would say is the one you remind me of, Jeff, and the one that people tell me all the time that I am very much relentless in everything I do. I fight like heck and I work really hard and I just don't give up. So my relentlessness would be the final gift on my list. Well, those are all amazing gifts, Jenna, and uh, the idea that you can you did go inside and and find that that's admirable as I uh walk my path to discover the gifts I received. One of my gifts when I looked at this was uh, uh independence. I uh in my retreat and in my isolation, I actually sought out social groups and other parents and other friends and I was always out of the house on my own at a young age and working at a young age and doing this and that and getting a credit history at a young age. So all that equals independence. So I've never really been dependent, at least I don't think of myself as being dependent on anyone else. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's certainly a gift that I consider I got from my situation. Uh, I have some of the same things you do. I'm working on others. The point is, folks... Yeah, we can be victims and we can be traumatized and we have been. We can be wounded and we have been. We can carry it with us and we will. But what do we do with it? Do we turn it around? Do we wallow in it our whole lives? Do we walk into a mediation, a domestic mediation, for instance, or any mediation with all those wounds and let them spill out all over the table? That's not very productive. So as mediators... In our protection mode mm-hmm. is up, right? Absolutely. And if we're doing our jobs, even conflicts amongst family, friends, people we know, what people you're close to, you may know bits and pieces of their trauma. You may not. But you also know the things to do and the things to say that may trigger a, some sort of response. As a mediator and a conflict resolver, I try to collect as much of that background information as I can. And actually, in our line of work, we are taught and trained to do these intakes, these domestic violence screenings, things like that, and ask all these questions about, you know, do you feel safe in this situation? Has there ever been domestic violence here? You know, I was talking with you just today, I think, about how in all those intake discussions we've had with clients in the past and with in the trainings in the past, there isn't a talk of trauma. What if we asked people about that? Well, that's something that we can consider and think about because after all, we're not therapists, are we? Absolutely not. And just remember, guys, we don't know anything about anything other than what we've experienced and learned on our own. But what we can do is transform the way we talk to one another, knowing and keeping in our minds that most people, 90, 95% of them, 
are carrying around those demons and those traumas. So since we're not therapists, <laughs> just to finish that thought, what we really are is managers. Mm-hmm. And we're managing facts and we're mag- managing outcomes and we're managing facilitative communication. And we don't know it, but we're also managing past trauma You're in right. every one of those participants that walk through that door. You're right. Not just seven out of ten, more likely all of them. Absolutely. And it's not just divorce or domestic cases. That's just where it's eager and willing to come out. Right. But you have to think about it like this now. If in that uh, contract case where there's a breach of contract, one party breaches a contract with another party, I have to remember that those individual human beings probably have all experienced some sort of trauma, whether they've seen it or personally experienced it. And I have to remember that my kindness and empathy needs to be the, the beginning of the conversation. Well, we know in the, even the commercial construction cases, we, there's high emotion, there's disappointment, there's anger, there's rage in some cases. Uh, people come into the room wanting to express themselves, they end up isolating and not speaking. Uh, there's control issues. All this stuff goes back to what we're talking about. So as managers... What we need to think about, I think, is, hey, if you're walking through the door, you're walking in with baggage. Maybe you talk about it, maybe you don't, but it's there, it's in that bag, and it's a wound. And how is it going to come out in mediation? Is it going to come out sideways? Are they going to argue with us? Are they going to isolate like we do? What's going to happen? Uh, We have to think of that. We have to presume that's the case. And I think we are more effective if we accept the truth of that. And what can we do? Well, it occurred to me uh, that anyone that has read uh, Miguel Ruiz's books, uh, his first one, I think, was The Four Agreements. And I thought about one of those as being pertinent in this discussion. Um, He says that the four agreements are be impeccable with your word, uh, don't make assumptions, always do your best. And the most important one for today is Don't take anything personally, because what is being said is not about you. It's about the person who walks in. It's about their story. It's about their dream. It's about their reality. It's not about you. That's a that's a switch. That's if you switch that switch that on, Mm -hmm. and they start and the people start exhibiting indicia of trauma or wounds or whatever. I say the first thing I say, it's not about me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not about the people in this room even. Exactly. And as managers and facilitators and people that have to transform the way we talk and that maybe our listeners do, we have to remember not to take it too personally. It's not an attack on us. It may be, and I'm not saying it's like this for everybody, it may be that 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 is that, that person's own demons, their own trauma their own wounds that are living inside them that are coming out in different ways because maybe that coping mechanism that day isn't working. Maybe they're starting to retreat, and it is so, so hard to not retreat sometimes. I think, I think you're right, though. If, if we can think about this as not being taking it personally as sort of having a shield up about all that, and then if we add to it uh, a good dose of uh, empathy, as you say, 
you bring to your mediations. Uh, then we then we can get through those tense moments. We can get through the sideways comments and the arguments and the isolation, and we can have an effective discussion and communication between uh, people in a room and ha- that that are seeking a common outcome but can't quite get to the point where they can agree because all those things get in the way. They are all boundaries. It's true. So we're challenging all of our listeners. There might be six. There might be 600. There might be two to transform the way they talk and think about those conversations they have with loved ones, with people at work, with anybody around them, that person that's behind them in the line at the grocery store. They're probably carrying a trauma. We need to think about that and approach people with kindness and empathy. And let's transform our talk. And I think, Jenna, we'll be back on this topic again. It may come back. It kind of connects to so many things we've talked about, you know, gun violence in the past, community violence people face, all causing and being at the forefront of the trauma they may experience. Dysfunction, uh, the school board stuff that is going on, these these teachers getting attacked. I mean, what is that? Trauma comes out in so many ways. Let's not take it personally, folks. And until next time, this is Transform Your Talk. I'm Jeff. I'm Jenna. Adios. Adios. Out of the ashes, I'm burning like a fire. You can save your apologies. You're nothing but a liar. I've got shame. I've got scars that I will never show. I'm a survivor in more ways than you know. Cause all the pain and the truth I wear like a battle wound. So ashamed, so confused. I'm not broken or bruised. Cause now I'm a warrior.